Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and as always, I am here with my co-host, Karen Milliken. What? What? Hello, Karen. What's up? Well, you know, we're coming up on the year mark of this crazy thing called COVID-19. It's wild. I know, right? Well, because it's COVID-19, but it's March 2021. So... It's been like a year and a half since this wow. thing kind of hit the scene, but but about a year since everything shut down. So it's been a crazy year. <laughs> Amen to that. So let's talk about it. Who's on the podcast today? So today we're going to have Christy Shermack, who is the executive director of Watermark Health. If you think that that name sounds familiar, it's because we recorded a podcast with her totally back did. in 2019. Huge fans. Which was all about how healthcare is a really interesting space to serve people. Yeah. And this year and has then proved this. it. <laughs> and then, and then COVID hit. And then COVID hit. And then we're also going to have Rachel Butterfield, who is a COVID ICU nurse, just to help give us some of her experience in the last year. Awesome. You guys enjoy this conversation. We are pumped this week to have in the studio with us one legendary <laughs> Miss Christy Shermack. I don't know about that, but no, hello, everybody. <laughs> I mean, legendary. if legendary means anything, then it means Christy Shermack. Oh, my God. You know, you're just kind of like an institutional icon oh around yeah, here. I would Quit like- it. We don't invite many people back on the podcast, and and you're back. Well, so. to be honest with the listeners, I invited myself. Listen, back. I was trying to help you here. <laughs> we also don't have a whole lot of people who are inviting themselves back. But. Also true. <laughs> if that makes me legendary, I received that that I invited myself back. But I also would say that when you were like, "Hey, let's do the other one," our immediate response was, "Yeah, let's do it. We love that." Thank so, you, welcome back to the Equipping Podcast. Excited to be here. We also have in the studio with us, who is f- on a podcast for the very first time, <laughs> one Rachel Butterfield. Boop, boop. What's going on, Rachel? Hello, everybody. How are you? I'm good. good. Excited to be here. Are you a member at Watermark? I am. What was unique about you and Watermark this past week? <laughs> um, I was in the Watermark News. Whoa. She's famous. Whoa. Hey, if you're from somewhere else and you don't, you've never been to Watermark, just know the Watermark News is like, if you make it in the Watermark News, that's kind of like, at least around here, like, <laughs> it's your celebrity status. She'll oh. be signing autographs in the coffee shop. No. Paparazzi. <laughs> which, which, uh, which doesn't sound very Christian because it's not. <laughs> She's going to sign autographs and we're going to stand around her and rebuke her. (laughs) (laughs) That's more Christian. And then I'm going to go hide in a corner. (laughs) That's awesome. So Rachel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am a nurse at a hospital in Dallas. I work in an ICU. Um, I've been living back in Dallas for almost two years now um, after living in Virginia for four years for college. Where'd you go to school in Virginia? I went to Liberty University. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lynchburg. Yep. In Lynchburg. I do too. Virginia's a lot prettier than Dallas. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. Concrete right. versus trees. Come on. And mountains. <laughs> yeah. The ocean's not far. It's a lot better. And there's four seasons. Yeah. We're here. It's just hot Confused. or yeah. negative weeks two. Ago, it, was, it was negative it, two. Yeah, negative yeah. two. And now it's going to be now like 80. 80 yeah. today. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Well, hey, if you've listened to this podcast, then you know that we try to divide these subjects that we tackle into three different categories. One is discipleship, one is theology, shout out, and one is uh, apologetics. Also, shout out to all of it. 
You left out discipleship? No, I did. I said it at the very beginning. I know, but you didn't do a shout out. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, shout out to all of it, which as I was going, I was like, yeah, shout out, shout out, yeah. All right, anyway. With this particular, these two episodes that we're, we're putting out are going to fall into that discipleship bucket. So discipleship being, which if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me talk a lot about it. But discipleship just being like those moment-by-moment, everyday opportunities that Jesus is teaching us and instructing us and uh, discipling us by his spirit. And one of the unique environments that all of us have been living in for the last year is learning how to follow Jesus specifically during the time of uh, COVID-19. And that creates opportunities for us as students of Jesus to live out a life following him in a really particular way. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So Conductor Karen is over there. Shout out to Conductor Karen. Thank you. And she is going to choo-choo run this episode. So Karen Milliken, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes I forget that's my name. (laughs) You're like, wait, who is that? (laughs) My bad. Everything's fine. How long have you been married? Since October, oh, okay. But I just like I'm just now legally changing it. Okay. So every time I write it down, it's Ben Henson. So. I gotcha. We asked her in our staff meeting this week, like, "Hey, Karen, what's going on in your world?" And she's like, "Honestly, just doing my taxes, and I don't even know what my name is." <laughs> the first question it asks you is, "What is your name?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't know." know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is not gonna go well. <laughs> That's the first question I can't answer. Uh, that's awesome. Okay, submitted them last night. Everything's fine. Okay, sweet. Um, all right, we're back. So what's crazy to think about is that probably about one year ago to the day mm-hmm. is when our world shifted, mm-hmm. where we had been seeing things on the news since about January, and we started washing our hands a little bit more. And then numbers started coming over to the U.S. and creeping up. And all of a sudden, the world shuts down. Like overnight. Mm -hmm. Crazy. And I remember distinctly thinking, okay, two weeks and life will be back. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. two weeks, maybe a month, Mm -hmm. and we'll do what we need to. It'll be a fun vacation, like Mm -hmm. shut the world down (laughs) and move on with our lives. Yep. And here we sit a year later. (laughs) Yep. So I would like to confess I was a little naive, mm. but I, I think that's true of the world. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that line's pretty <laughs> um, And so part of the reason why we wanted to ask y'all back here is just to kind of help us in, I would say the aftermath, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. So to help us in the thick of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about trauma and then in the next episode, some tools that can be um, helpful for those who've walked through this really hard season um, in really unique ways. And so just to get us started, help us understand some of the impacts that the pandemic has had over the last year, whether that's short term, long term, how has it changed our world and how has it changed us it might almost be easier to say what it hasn't changed (laughs) there's really only one of those things and it's jesus Mm. and god and how we relate to him (laughs) i mean seriously i have a long list of what it's changed and that's probably the only thing that it hasn't but yeah if i were to try to tackle 
what has shifted for us in the last year, I think the first thing is just we have to acknowledge there's been a lot of loss this year, Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically the loss of life. When we're recording this, around half a million people have passed away in our country. Mm. So 500,000 people is a lot of people in the United States worldwide. That's 2.6 million people. And so just even give us a framework for what that includes, how many people that is, because it's just too many for us to wrap our minds around. The city of Dallas has 1.3 million residents. Mm. So imagine the city of Dallas got wiped out twice, two times over. Totally wiped out. Every human being did. Two times over. Yep. And that would be what we are dealing with Mm. in the world today to an illness that we did not know about 12 months ago or about 14 months ago. And so that's just devastating. That's not just random humans. That's people that really mattered to God. It's safe to say a lot of them did not know who Jesus was. So there's something to grieve specifically there. They were family members, they were brothers, they were sisters, they were co-workers. Like, so there are 500,000 people in our country gone today that weren't last year. And then there are the families and the circles around them that are mourning that. So I think, you know, we got to start there of just acknowledging that's heavy and there's something there to grieve and lament. And I would almost even some of the as I've been having conversations about this, I've kind of compared it to the poverty issue. Like it's so big that it's hard to wrap our minds around where it's almost easier just to stuff it somewhere and say, well, that's too big of a number. I can't do anything about it. So I'm going to go about my life. Um, Stick your head in the sand. Yes. Try to yeah. Like I ate my breakfast this morning and I know very well there are people that are going to die from starvation today. Yeah. And so there's just something about the human experience that that is hard to absorb and understand. Mm-hmm. But at the year marker of just a really devastating time, I think it's appropriate to try our best to absorb and understand sure. it and grieve it and lament with those who are grieving. Mm-hmm. So, Well, and that's essentially the heart of Christianity, right, is that Jesus incarnates mm-hmm. as a man and becomes one of us. Mm-hmm. And I think in our experience identifies with our weakness. Mm-hmm. He actually ends up suffering with us and for us. Yep. And so I think that's the the lament of the human experience of of loss and chaos and mm-hmm. death is right at the very center of the Christian claim. Yep. The essence of yep. Christianity. Well, and what's really unique about this season is normally when you're lamenting with someone or comforting them in loss, you're in a little bit of a better spot. Yep. And this is the first time that I can look back in our lives and say Everyone has experienced loss, like everyone. Mm -hmm. And so to move towards people in their grief and in their pain might be a little bit harder than it used to be because you're also experiencing it. We're all hurting, right? And so, yeah, it's not just the loss of life. There's been loss of economic stability, loss of faith in some governments around us, loss Mm -hmm. of expectations. People still lived their life this year, right? And they anticipated that their first child would be born in a different scenario or their marriage would occur in a different scenario. And so, yeah, loss trickles to a lot more than the loss of a human life. There's also loss of a lot of things that is happening around us. And so to your point, Karen, yeah, it's, we're all hurting. And so it's, you know, almost sometimes it feels like a competition of who's hurting Mm. more. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, that's not healthy. So Mm. how do we handle that together? But it does require something different of us right now as believers to be able to empathize, to do the hard emotional work, to be able to show up to a conversation ready to serve the other. Because right now we're all wondering who's going to serve me. Right. right? Mm. There's a piece of that going on. So yeah. What is the impact of the pandemic? Pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> Sum it up. Yeah. And then one thing I do think is important to note is it's disproportionately affected certain communities. Yeah. Um, so we know statistically 
two to one African-Americans are dying from this illness over white Americans. Mm -hmm. And that's due to systemic issues that have been around well before 2019, well before 2020. And the pandemic just shined a giant spotlight on it. Mm -hmm. So um, what are a few of those that you would list? So you say systemic issues. Just let's name those. Um, growing up in a food desert, there are parts mm-hmm. of our city where you would have to travel half an hour to go get food. And if you don't have transportation, you're doing that on a public transit. So imagine the reality of that happening. So a lot of families are growing up eating food from a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not going to have good nutritional value. And then if you think about the impacts of that over decades of growing up, you're going to have some of these underlying conditions that any virus is going to make you more susceptible to a bigger response to it in your body. And a lot of times those same communities don't have access to health care. And so they've gone undiagnosed. And so they're living with bad resources in their in their immediate community. And they don't have access when they have the issue. For a lot of us, we've got insurance. And so if I get sick, I can call a doctor. It's taken care of. I can get put on proactive medication to help out with it. And there's large parts of our city. Or that preventative do. stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Large parts of our city that do not have that care. Right. right. It's good. I think that's helpful for the audience to mm-hmm. hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the illustration of the pandemic, like highlighting or yes. spotlighting different things, I think is has been consistently true across yes. the board. And that is a really unique area where that has shined a light. And I think another one is in healthcare. It's shined a light on the challenges of what it means to work in healthcare. And so it's always been hard to be a nurse or to be a doctor or to work in, in the realm how do, of... How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> because I got out. <laughs> no. For those of y'all who don't know, Karen was a nurse. I was a in nurse. In a different life. Yeah. In a previous life. Previous life. <laughs> I'm very old. <laughs> um, but it's always been a challenge to be in healthcare. And for maybe the first time that I can remember, there has been a spotlight on healthcare workers in in a really unique way of highlighting the difficulties and making it extremely uh, more difficult in a lot of ways. And so, Rachel, you're here as a ICU nurse. And so would love to hear a little bit more about how the pandemic has specifically affected healthcare workers and how it's affected you in this season. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're right. Just in across the board, being a healthcare worker is difficult. Also depends on what area of healthcare you're in, of what that difficulty is. It looks different in a lot of areas, specifically in ICU. Like we're used to our jobs being fast paced and high acuity and patients being really sick. Like that's why you go to an ICU. You don't just go for fun because you think it'll be a good time. Um, And so you come because you're sick and you need high level care. But this pandemic has highlighted one, like the brokenness of a lot of our healthcare system and just the areas that there's huge gaps that. I think people knew about but didn't want to talk about or didn't know how to fix because there's such big issues. But specifically, I can only speak to an ICU because that's all I know. That's all I've ever done. It just flipped kind of everything upside down. So my unit did get turned into a COVID ICU specifically. And so that just changed how we did everything. Starting last March, it was about this time we had a COVID patient on our unit. And so just how we operated, even the day-to-day like task flipped upside down. And it was about this time, like you said earlier, that the world shut down. They officially declared it a pandemic. And all we knew in Dallas was what's happening in New York, in Italy, in China. We had no idea what is this going to look like here. And so just preparing for that was very weird. (laughs) Weird. I don't know the right word for that. It was something completely new we didn't know what was happening and so well you're in a completely different brain space because I was like 
off work, holla, like stay home. Yeah. And, and I you're think, thinking, okay, we're going to go. Yeah. We're, we're going to go. Into the yeah, fire. We're going to go. Um, and so, and I think as a believer, like it was really helpful. I've been serving at the urgent care that Watermark runs um, since October of 2019. And so it'd been about six months prior to the pandemic hitting. And in our head, like my coworkers were saying, what are we going to do? Like, we don't really want to take care of these COVID patients. No one's really telling us what's happening. Some people are like, yes, we'll do it, but we don't really know what that looks like um, because this is a brand new virus. This is a brand new disease. No one really knows what's happening. But I think as a believer for me, it was, okay, we're going to run into this. Um, and then it was really helpful because kind of from the get-go, Christy and a lot of the team at the urgent care were just like, we don't know what we're going to do. Are we even going to be able to stay open? What does this even look like for us? But we have volunteers, we have people who we care about that are probably going to be impacted by this. And I don't think anyone realized what that impact would be. But they were like, are you ready to run into the fire? Are you ready to go? And are you willing to say yes to that? Having no idea what that looked like. <laughs> and so I can say for me, for my coworkers, for my friends who are nurses across the country, um, and I have a lot of friends in other aspects of healthcare as well. It was kind of like, what are you going to do if you get this and die? Because all we heard out of New York was like all these nurses, all these doctors, respiratory therapists are just dying right and left because they don't know what's happening. And so that was just like, I have no idea, but I guess we're going to do this because right now the Lord has asked me to be a nurse and has gifted me with this. And so we're going to stay in this because this is what my unit is turning into. And so that has then over the last year, I think, mm -hmm. continues to impact healthcare workers. It's continuing to impact everyone across the board. And so that looks different for everybody. There was a real emotional toll in those moments. And I think it's easy now a year later to be like, oh, most of us are okay. You know, just to be like, it wasn't that bad. But I mean, even in the clinic setting, we in a very real way sat around in a circle, looked each other in the eyeballs and said, are we okay dying? Are we okay bringing this to the other people that we love and they might die? Are we willing to say yes to this? And so that's just heavy. I mean, it was a beautiful chance as a believer, right, to put faith in what we have said. I mean, I remember right. sitting and journaling in my home like, well, I've said this thing is real my whole life. Yep. Mm -hmm. Do I actually believe it? So that's like an awesome refining experience, but there is also an emotional weight to some of that. Um, and then we're in a Christian bubble in our clinics, right? Like mm -hmm. we have the best possible scenario of working in healthcare in the for-profit or the you know hospital setting. It doesn't look the same. Mm -hmm. So there's this trust that built during that time. There was because there was constantly changing information. You know, does the manager know what they're saying? The manager's sitting in an office somewhere. And then, you know, I mean, I even feel that in my role. I'm not on the front lines with my staff all the time. So I'm making decisions on their behalf. Yep. And so if you're in a culture where there's not trust, yep. it's just, you know, yep. going to be, really be yep. a rough time. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think in my experience of being in the military, which I know we did that little video yes. and stuff, there's kind of that, hey, I'll sign up and do this, mm -hmm. you know. But then there's something when it's like, okay, we're in a war. And you're up, mm -hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> go mm -hmm. right. There's some, like you said, there's something that makes you internally go, "All right, this is real. Mm -hmm. I could die, mm -hmm. but let's go." Yeah. I mean, the way I've talked to people is, "Look, do you believe that Jesus is the King and that He will raise you from the dead, or not?" Mm -hmm. And that's where the rubber meets the mm -hmm. road when you're faced with life and death situations, and you go, "Okay." 
Like, I here believe, we go. help my unbelief. Yes. And you move, like you yeah. step off and you go, yes. you do it. You and know. I think what Rachel's saying too is that Peter moment of like, where else would I go, Lord? Like yeah. you clearly set me up for this moment in time. So I can tell it'd be disobedience for me. Like, okay, we're going to shut the doors and mm-hmm. like, you know, mm, good luck city. You know, yeah. we're not going to do that. But there's something freeing about that and also really waiting. And there's a long history of Christians where everybody else was... Like in New York City, mm-hmm. everybody was like, peace out, I'm going to my beach house or yep. my other home or or I'm just leaving, you know, and in the midst yeah. of that to see the Christian witness mm-hmm. move toward mm-hmm. the problem and, and bear witness in the midst of it. And I would say one example of that in the um, hospital sector is the nurses that are staying at their hospitals mm. oftentimes have some of that uh, value system of, yeah. hey, this is what the Lord has called me to, so I'm going to stick around. Because right now in the nursing world, you can make a lot of money to change your contract over and go wherever there's a surge and move from thing to thing. I mean, we hear stories of different hospitals losing dozens of people a month. Like, mm. it is just not a good environment right now because of the weight that they're bearing. Yep. And so folks like Rachel have stuck around because Rachel knows that the Lord has asked her to stay there. Yeah, and good. so there's Ra- something different even than that arena. Love it. Rachel, help us understand some of the isolation that you experienced in those first few months because so many of us were like, around our families and we would, oh, okay, I'm going to choose to be around this group and now I'm going to choose to be around this group. But as somebody who's caring for COVID patients in those early days and you don't know the implications of being around them and how it spreads, talk to us a little bit about how the isolation affected you. Yeah, um, it's been hard to just kind of process through and I would say there's still a lot of things that I haven't fully processed through because there just hasn't been time. Things are slowing down some, which has been a blessing, like COVID numbers are going down. And so slowly starting to get to process some of that. But the isolation was probably one of the hardest things to do and walk through and even still can feel some of the remnants of that like to this day. But it was interesting because it was this thing we didn't know. And I can distinctly remember my dad's birthday is actually coming up this weekend. And so it was, that was like the last thing that I did with my family we went to dinner for his birthday at a restaurant. That was the last restaurant we ate out. And it's like weird to think about all of these things and like put all the pieces together. But we went to dinner and I remember going to their house that night afterwards, knowing that the next week, whenever I went into work, I'd be taking care of a COVID patient because we'd gotten an email saying, hey, this is probably coming soon. And like, we're going to do training on how to wear PPE. And then we're just, we're going to go whenever they come. And so went to my parents' house hung out with them for the night and then remember telling my parents like, Hey, I love you. I don't know when I'm going to see you next because at this point, like we don't know what's going to happen and I'm not going to bring this home to you. My grandma was also living with my parents at the time just for health reasons. And so it was like, okay, I don't know when I'm going to see you next, which is crazy because they live about 10 minutes from me. And so just having to process through that and process through, I have no idea what this virus is going to do. Like I'm willing to sign up and go into this, I'm willing to, and looking back now, like we thankfully, I haven't lost a coworker to COVID by the grace of God. And so, but I have coworkers who have lost old coworkers at other hospitals to COVID in the last year. And so we didn't know what that was going to look like. I'm willing to say yes to this, but I don't get to decide that for other people. And so I'm going to go to work at that time. We didn't know, like, can I bring it home on my clothes? Like, am I going to just catch it being in a room? Is our PPE even adequate? Because we don't know what this virus is doing. And so I'm going to go to work. I'm going to come home. And thankfully 
I had moved into an apartment by myself just like about a month and a half before. And so I didn't have the stress of like, what are my roommates going to do? Mm-hmm. Like, I need to move out of my roommate's place because I had a lot of coworkers that had that situation happen. They're like, my roommates didn't sign up for this. And so just having to go through all of that and then having the anxiety of like people are going to go see certain people, like you said, like your COVID teams or your quarantine teams, I think was the term that a lot of people were using, which I think is great. Like find your people that you're going to do this with and walk through it with them. I was having to do all of that through FaceTime and through Mm -hmm. Zoom because I didn't know and I didn't want to bring that to people I love and care about who then may go take that to someone else. And having that burden and responsibility of almost like, I'm going to see what this does and see the worst of it. And I know what not to do and what to do. And so having to figure all of that out and then all this information that is being thrown at us of like, no, you'll be fine. No, you won't be fine. No, you need to wear a mask out. You don't need to wear a mask out. It was like a very lonely time. And I remember very distinctly, there was like three weeks into COVID, I guess. I don't really know the exact time. Um, I had stopped by the clinic actually to drop, just like drop off some treats. And I remember seeing Sam Victor, who was one of my really good friends there. And like, that was like the first person I'd hugged in three weeks (laughs) because we just like, we weren't being affectionate with anybody and like yeah. you weren't seeing anyone so it was like this is weird this is not normal you're like man um, I really love you yeah Come here, bring it in for the real thing yeah <laughs> and so I was like it's just like it's so weird because yeah. it's such a 180 shift of like mm. what we're used to and mm. so just having to do all that and then not even knowing how I felt about any of it yeah. <laughs> except mm. that like we are stressed and overworked and this was prior to Dallas even being really hit really hard. Yeah. Mm. And so just going through all that and then what does it look like to even re-merge from yeah. isolation yeah. and start seeing people again? And like, when is it safe? And having to process through all these questions of like, when is it safe for me to see family? When is it safe for me to see friends? Who can I see? Who can I not see? I think just added to the like mental capacity that my job was taking from me uh-huh. on top of outside of that, like, what can I even do and what is safe and what is responsible and what is loving to people around me? I mean, that's, that's a lot. (laughs) Let's just acknowledge how difficult that situation was. I mean, the simple fact of you lost human touch. Mm -hmm. Like we take that for granted every single day until you don't have it. Mm -hmm. And so I think the Lord in this season has taught us we are not meant to live in isolation like that has become so clear and I think primarily through healthcare workers who have been more isolated than anybody else in this season that we can look at your lives and the implications of that isolation and be like hey this has caused stress and anxiety and fear and all sorts of things in the aftermath of a really isolating season And so while that has been a hard lesson, I think it is affirming to the truth of scripture and is something good that has come out of this of people realizing like I'm not meant to live alone. Mm -hmm. And so are there other things that y'all can look at and say, hey, this is what God is using COVID for. This is how God works through suffering like this. Are there specific uh, lessons or truths that you've taken away from the season of how God uses suffering? A million and one. Yeah, I was going to say there's a lot. Um, I feel like I've been in in an incubator of learning a lot about the (laughs) Lord and about myself in the last year, just because I think, and it goes back to starting with like the isolation of like in those moments, like I knew, and I just had to fall back on the things that the Lord had taught me for years growing up and like walking with him of 
hey, I might be by myself physically, but like, what does that mean in going deeper with the Lord and Mm -hmm. trusting and falling back on the fact that Jesus says he will never leave us and he'll always be there. And just trusting in those moments that I felt my absolute weakest because I was by myself and I was going to work and seeing people there, but totally different environment than being around my community and being around my family and people who know me really well, just trusting that Jesus is going to meet me here in this moment. And like, he's going to love me and walk me through this, even if it feels like I'm completely by myself in this bubble that no one else understands. So he's the God that's with us. Right. So John chapter one makes that clear. Matthew eleven twenty eight is a verse we love to go to in the clinics of, Hey, he's a God that wants to walk with us, carry our burdens with us. He's not far away. Isaiah 41, 10, Joshua one, nine, Romans eight, 38 through 39. Like we got to see these verses lived out that he will be with us in the thick of it. And he's not just saying, go figure this out over here. Like this is, I mean, let's call it what it is. It was a traumatic time. It still is a traumatic time. If you look at what the mental health diagnosis code of that is, it's a perceived or real threat to your life or injury. And it's like, Mm. that's exactly what healthcare workers have walked through. That's what the whole world has walked through in the last year. And so that was a traumatic time. It is a traumatic time. And God was right there in the thick of it with us. I think a big lesson that we saw over and over again was he's the God that went before us. So he prepared so many things so that we could respond the way we did down to the fact that the year prior we had installed heaters outside of our building so that when people lined up in the morning to be seen, we could help keep them warm. Now all of a sudden our staff is the one sitting outside in the cold and it's Mm -hmm. like, glad we have these heaters here. (laughs) Like there were little details like that. Um, Another one would be we'd been going to Haiti for years prior. So we knew how to set up and tear down a clinic immediately. We knew how to do an outdoor triage process. And so on March 13th, we flipped our clinic around and said, okay, we're going to do outdoor triage process. And that was like a really easy change for us. And we had other clinics calling us and be like, how'd you know how to do that? It's like, we went to Haiti seven times. So that's how we knew how to we do it. We were prepared. Experience. So he's the God that went before us. He knew all of those things down to the details of which staff rolled on the team at which time. I think one of the big lessons for me, so in the middle of this last year, there was, yes, working in the healthcare space and then also facing just like difficult stuff in my family. My dad is not doing well and got a difficult diagnosis. And so we spent some time studying heaven. And I think that was one of my huge takeaways from the last year is heaven's going to be amazing. Mm. And because this world has been comfortable in the past, I can put too much hope in this world. And this year was a really helpful year to take my comfort and my security out of the world and put it in the right spot. Hmm. And so even just having a more tangible understanding of what heaven will look like was a big takeaway. And the fact that this is not it. Yep. This is definitely (laughs) not it. And I'm really glad that this is not it. (laughs) (laughs) Praise the Lamb. Yeah. Have there been days where you just said, hey, I don't want to do it anymore. Like, I'm done. Like, take me out of the game. Like, let me do anything else with my career. Let me walk away from this, Lord. Were there days like that? Yeah, a lot. I don't even know if it was take me out of this career. I think I've prayed more in the last year, like, Lord, come quickly. Like, Mm. can you just come back and just take us all home and end all of this now rather than waiting (laughs) any longer? And so there's been a lot of those days where it's just like, I just don't have the energy to do this anymore. But I think the Lord constantly reminds me of what Paul talks about in Second Corinthians of God's power is made perfect in our weakness and that his grace is sufficient for us. And so even when the Lord says, it's not time for me to come back yet. And like, you're going to stay just trusting that like, Hey, what we're doing is okay because the Lord's walking with us. And even when I'm weak, that's the best time for the Lord to shine through, which is the whole purpose of us being here anyway, is to glorify him and worship him through 
the things that he asked us to do while we're here on earth. So we give a hard time to pain and suffering, rightly so, because it's not good. But the Lord uses it. I don't think that he created it. I don't think he intended it. I don't think he's happy about it. But just like with anything in the entire cosmos, right, God can use it. And I think he uses pain and suffering in very specific ways to produce things in us that otherwise would be very difficult to produce. So I think about James 1, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance, when it finishes its work, you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so one of the benefits of a situation like COVID, there are a bunch of, I mean, that's why it says when you face trials of many kinds, right? But specifically of this one is, this is for some people who don't yield to the work of the Spirit in their lives, it's going to drive them further into uh, hopelessness, despair, the just meaninglessness of all of this. But for those who do cooperate with the Spirit's work in their life, then the Spirit will use stuff like this to make them into the type of person who is going to image God more fully and push forward the kingdom of God in ways that are mature and that the world is going to look at and go, man, how do you get that, Mm. you know? And so I think we have a really unique opportunity. The church does, um, has a really unique opportunity to bear witness in this time. I don't know if you caught it earlier, but Rachel mentioned when the world was shutting down and things were on fire in the hospital that she came by the clinic with treats for us. I did catch that. I was like, huh? I mean, <laughs> I think that is a perfect example. And that's one of my other takeaways, Karen, is I've just seen over and over again the people that continue to allow this to find ways to serve others more and more that's and great. more are the healthiest ones in the room. Yep. And the people that have said, this is hard, and they've turned inward and mm. fought for their own comfort and mm. fought for their own peace and not worried about the other next to them are the unhealthiest mm. in the room. And so, I mean, scripture's laced with reasons why we should serve others, but this year has also been a little bit of a microcosm for me to see that play out. And that makes me sad because, mm. I mean, that is part of the healing process is mm. taking your grief and helping others find healing because of it and finding ways to get out of our own heads and serve others. Like that has been a very real way that I have stayed any amount of sane. Is <laughs> I have goals every yep. single month to find ways to serve others outside of my own yep, muck. Totally. And that's part of what keeps me sane. Yep. And so to answer your other question, Karen, of has there been days you wanted to quit? I think it's important. Like people tend to, I mean, we've been called healthcare heroes, right? We're not heroes. We're human beings. <laughs> we are just as human as the next person burdens are just as heavy as the next person. I mean, there were times this summer where I did not want to get out of bed. I mean, like this was hard. Um, I love my job. I hated going to my job sometimes because I was making decisions that were life and death for people I loved, you know? And it's like, I'm looking at my coworker and I'm thinking, you have two kids at home. Your husband has a job. Like I'm sending you to the front lines. I don't know what's going to happen with you. And that, I just didn't want to do that anymore. And so, yes, there have been days where I did not want to do this anymore. But like Nathan's saying, finding ways to press through it, to find rhythms, to stay emotionally well in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think I'd trade this year for anything yep. now that I'm through some of it, but there were days I wanted to quit. Yeah. 
Yeah, and sure. I, I hope if you're listening and you're in that spot of, hey, there are days I want to quit, know that you're not alone and mm-hmm. that God can use that in really miraculous ways. And so do you all want to end this episode just on any story of, hey, God showed up here or I saw him work in this way? Yeah, like I mentioned, we saw him go before us in a million different ways and just using his church even to show up in unique spots. One of the things we saw early on was because a lot of places closed their doors and we didn't was we had a lot of early diagnosed pregnancies walking through our building. And so, I mean, there were tangible lives that were saved um, because we chose to shoulder some of that burden. Um, I'd say personally, time in scripture, just like popping off the page, like that was part of what sustained me through this last year. There's a million small stories of people coming in terrified, frazzled, overwhelmed, all across the spectrum, right? Like sometimes unreasonably so, sometimes, yeah, you did just watch someone you love pass away. So of course you're, you know, struggling with this and then leaving with hope. Um, A lot of the times the medical advice we were giving was stop watching the news, you know, and that just released a burden for people. We saw the church show up in some amazing ways where meals were taken care of for months for our staff. We also got to pass those off to some of the nurses in our networks. And um, so the church showed up. We got to pass out materials for, um, if you think about our patient population, they are the ones that are still having to go to work, don't have time to run to the grocery store when it's being overrun and the the shelves are gone. So we got to provide meals and supplies for our patients that walk through as well because of the church. And so we really saw people step up mm-hmm. um, and saw God's hand in the middle of a lot of it. And I think that's what I would say. <laughs> pandemic can't slow Jesus down. Huh? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's so good. And it's it's helpful to be reminded of the God of all comfort and the God of all power is still those things in the midst of this time. And so really appreciate y'all's vulnerability and willingness to kind of share some of the hard with us. And so in the next episode, we are going to talk through tools of, hey, what are tangible ways to stay emotionally healthy and how can we help those around us who are hurting? And so if you're in either of those buckets, you're hurting or you know someone who is, uh, tune in next time. So thanks for being here, y'all. Thank you. Your main takeaway from this needs to be that sometimes watching the news is literally detrimental <laughs> to your mental health. Yes, it I is. think that it is. Yes. All right, goodbye. Also, Google. <laughs> and, and dude, get off of Dr. Google. Yeah. He's a terrible doctor. He is a terrible doctor. <laughs> I have a rash on my skin. You have stage four cancer. <laughs> like, nah, that's a heat rash. You're fine. You took a bath. Yeah, the the bath was too hot. Yeah, it's just you have warm skin. (laughs) Or as Christy would say, take a acetaminophen. acetaminophen, Way to go! I'm surprised you remembered that. (laughs) How could I ever forget? Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. As always, if you liked it, tell everyone you know and blast it on every social media. Everything. Also, if you have a question, email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Which, by the way, we've been getting more traffic there. We have. So for you guys who have been writing in, either suggesting topics or encouraging us or calling us blasphemers, whatever it is, we're grateful for that. So keep it up. Keep calling us blasphemers. Keep calling us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Bye. Peace. Peace.